The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Let's let's can we just do silent sit to start? Like, you know, um, just in case a few people come in late and is that okay with you, Diana? Yeah, of course. Just adjust a little.
Anybody have concerns about my taking my mask off? Diana. Okay. Sage, do we have anyone on YouTube? Hello, beautiful people in YouTube land. Welcome. I sometimes talk about it as the people on the other side of the camera. Like we're on this side and they're on the other side. Nice. Nice. So um, we wanted to create a space to talk about, you know, practice together. And um, the, the four weeks of... Let's talk about practice this week is Sangha, is the focus, talking about Sangha. Next week would be effort, the week after would be mindfulness, and the week after, concentration. And um, so we'll do, um, Diana will give a, some talk, talking, sharing, reflecting, and then um, I will too, and... Uh, but tonight, mostly, I'm going to focus on um, teaching, incorporating, and moving into just discussions using mindful speaking and listening. So, uh, glad you're here, my dear Sangha. <laughs> my dear Sangha, Diana, and Sage, and Richard out there. So... You ready to share? Okay. So, welcome, welcome, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Diana Clark. And uh, I'm so delighted to be teaching with Tanya, and especially on this topic of Sangha, because we've been friends for quite some time, and we talk about practice all the time, right? We talk about Dharma things, and what a delight it is. It makes such a difference. Tony, just having you part of my life has made a difference. So I wanted to start by talking about a little bit of a story that's uh, in the suttas that we find in this kind of the ancient Buddhist literature. And this story is about this character's name is Magia. And he's the attendant of the Buddha. And some of you may have heard like Ananda is the attendant of the Buddha, but this is before Ananda. So before uh, Ananda was the attendant, Magia was the attendant. And this one day, Magia went out uh, for alms round in the morning. You know, nothing unusual about that. And as he went out, he noticed like, oh... There's this mango grove. Wow, it looks so peaceful. I think I'd like to go meditate there. This is a wholesome thing, right? He has this idea that he wants to go meditate. So after he comes back from the alms, uh, he says to the Buddha, I saw this fantastic mango grove. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Um, I'd like to go meditate there. And the Buddha says, no, right now is not a good time. And Megya says, no, but I really want to. And the Buddha says, this is not the right time. And then the Megya says something like, well, you don't have any more work to do, but I have work to do, and I really want to go meditate, like recognizing he's not awakened yet, and he really wants to become awakened. So the Buddha says, okay. 
So Magia goes off into this mango grove that he had seen. He sits down. In my mind, he's having its, you know, ideal setting because he really wanted to go and he has this kind of gusto for practice and and he's sitting there in the grove and he starts to meditate and he discovers that his mind is all over the place and not only that, not only is he distracted, but he's having all these unwholesome thoughts that just keep on arising he hangs in there, spends the day meditating, and he says to himself, I can't believe it. I think uh, in Pali, I don't remember the Pali words, but in English it often gets translated like, this is incredible that my mind is so out of control and all these unwholesome things are happening. So he goes back at the end and he tells the Buddha, to the Buddha, this, my mind was all over the place and I had all these unwholesome thoughts arise. I know for me, I thought, well, this is kind of surprising because Magia, right, he's a, he was a monastic. He had completely dedicated his life to practice. So this was, you know, in order to ordain means this is like the most important thing ever. And not only that, was he a monastic, but he got to hang out with whom we might say is the world's greatest meditation teacher, the Buddha. Right? That was his own personal teacher, and he got to serve him. And he, has, and he had all these difficulties. So this is what the Buddha tells him when, uh, after Megia says this. For those whose freedom of mind is not fully mature, he's just acknowledging that Megia is not quite awakened. There are five things that lead to maturity. What five? The first one. Megia, a practitioner has a good friend, a good companion, a good comrade. This is the first thing that leads to freedom of mind. And then the sutta continues with four more things. I'll just mention them. We're not going to talk about them. Virtue, having opportunities to talk about dharma topics, having energy and effort, which will be next week, and having wisdom. It's striking to me that the Buddha, his instructions to Megia, the first thing he says is the importance of good comrades, good associates, and a good, compa- or good friend, companion, and comrades. So it's not sufficient to dedicate your life to practice, but I also appreciate that the Buddha, he's using three different words. Uh, Different translators do it differently. And this translator does friend, companion, and comrade. I'm understanding this to point to different levels of intimacy. Like some people are our friends and we share lots of things with them. Some are companions that maybe we don't share so much. Maybe some are comrades that we, maybe we don't even know their names. Maybe we'll never know their names, but they were just people that were in the meditation hall with us. I have this one time uh, when I was sitting a long retreat. For those of you who have a retreat practice, you know how it is that you, at the beginning of the retreat, before it's started, you... um, often choose a sitting place and you choose, uh, you like put your cushion there or you'll put something on a chair if you're going to sit on a chair. 
and I kind of I have like a certain region in the meditation hall I like to go, and um, I put my uh, cushion on a zabutan on a mat there, and nobody else was in the hall, so I had no idea like where I'm going to be. And as it turned out, when there was came time for uh, you know all of us to be in the hall, I had uh, a woman on one side and a man on the other side. And um, they were both kneeling, maybe a little bit like Hamitra is here. And when you're in that kneeling posture, you're a little bit taller. So I felt like, oh, I kind of have like mom and dad here, right, you know, next to me. It turned out to be so great. They were like so steady. And I don't know, I felt kind of like protected and uh, happy. And I, I was just an amazing retreat for me, actually, just sitting between these two people. As it happened, this was a long retreat, and it was a three-month retreat, but I was only sitting six weeks. So at the end of six weeks, I got up and, and left, and they were staying in silence. So I never knew their names. I couldn't even tell you what they looked like because right, I saw them from the side of my eyes. But just this recognition that other people really support us, and those people probably will never know how much they supported me either. So this idea of good companions, good friends, good associates is being foundational for practice. And then in the sutta, the the Buddha is using this word good, good friends. And the word good here is kalyana. Many of you might have heard of this expression, kalyana mita. Mita is the word friend. And kalyana can mean good, but it can also mean beautiful. So this idea of beautiful, like the way that maybe inspires us or touches us in some way, it could also just be good. It doesn't have to be, you know, elevated up into something that's the, the highest. But just this recognition that we can support one another and be supported by others. But it's not so easy as just sitting next to people silently. I mean, that's one way, but it's not the only way. Because there's a way in which if we're going to really learn from people that we spend time with, be influenced by, or allow ourselves to be supported by people that we spend time with, there's a way in which we have to be open to that. We have to be like a willingness to learn from others, to be influenced by others. So can we be teachable? Sometimes there's people who show up and kind of like don't want to, they are so busy showing you how much they know that they don't uh, ever learn anything. Like they don't really want to acknowledge that there's something that they don't know. So it's a little bit of humility to recognize, well, can I learn from others? Can I be inspired by them? And, And without feeling a sense of envy or this Sometimes we can have these mixed feelings when other people have some knowledge or some experiences that we don't have. It also requires that we're not so attached to our views. 
it's related to you know having an open mind, but it also includes views about ourselves and the ways in which we've set up a us versus them, me versus you kind of dynamic in our life. My type of people are like this, not those type of people. You know, in whatever way that we've done that in our lives, and it's the human thing to do, right? To kind of want to hang out with people that are similar to us. But is there a way in which we can relax that and be open to whomever? I mean, here in the context of IMC and as a practitioner, I've met people from all kinds of different walks of life and different backgrounds, different ages, right? That I would have never have learned back in my kind of a, the life that I had before where I was, you know, surrounded with people that had similar livelihood than I did or the same neighborhood or something like that. So not only does it mean that we have to be open in our views, but this may be one way to say is to let go. Let go of some of our biases. Let go of some of our assumptions about other people. And this is why I think that the Buddha, when he's telling Megia how to, as a support for Megia's practice, he's saying that the first thing is good friends, companions, and associates because all the characteristics that allows a person to be supported by, learn from, to, and, and to support others are all the same practices, the same way in which we're showing up in the world for just freedom in general. This letting go and willing to be influenced and willing to have different experiences. But I also want to say that there's maybe uh, something else here is this idea of discernment. This idea of good spiritual friend. Well, how do we know what's good (laughs) and what's not? So we can ask ourselves, does it feel like it supports greater freedom? And we all know that doesn't mean that it's pleasant all the time, right? Sometimes we have relationships with people and it's not always smooth and, you know, rainbows and hearts. Sometimes it's, you know, we have difficult conversations. But is there a way in which people are allowing the best sides of ourselves to show up? They're giving an opportunity for us to be the best versions of ourselves and allowing the wisdom that all of us have to, for us to tap into it and for it to come forth? Or do we find that all the habits are bad habits, quote-unquote, that we have maybe tend to come out when we're with somebody and we're finding that we have less freedom and more regret when we spend time with them? And this can be a really difficult thing when we start spiritual practice. I, th- I think it's pretty common for people's relationships to start to shift as they st- start to have maybe different priorities or they understand themselves different or they understand what it means to really show up fully. And they're realizing, oh, yeah, this relationship 
that I've had for so long, but now I feel like I maybe will limit the time that I spend with this person or something like this. Or maybe they realize, wow, this person here that I kind of didn't, I knew them, but I didn't spend that much time with them, turns out to be really a great support. So discernment is also needed. And of course, this is something that is a big part of our practice is, okay, what's helpful and what's not helpful. So then maybe I'll just um, introduce something just a little bit here. I've been talking about good spiritual friends and Tanya introduced this idea as a sangha. So what's the difference between good spiritual friends and sangha? Maybe there's no difference. Maybe there's a way in which we can understand sangha as fellow practitioners or comrades in practice. I think that's in a kind of like contemporary parlance. We often use that language as kind of the sangha is just those people that we practice with and those that are supporting our practice. But in the literature of um, early Buddhism, the sangha is defined as those people that have a certain amount of awakening. And I don't, we don't use that so much uh, these days. In fact, I don't know anybody that does. But it's also a nod to there are people who have some freedom. And it makes sense, right? There's people that have been walking on this path longer than we have. And to just kind of acknowledge that. And is there something that we can learn from them? Is there something that we can maybe emulate or be inspired by or work with or something like this? And maybe, maybe I'll just stop there. As a, I like talking about introducing this idea of Sangha and good spiritual friends. So, thank you. Thanks, Diana. I have an idea, but let's see if, if it feels good. I wonder if we could make a circle that you guys could come a little closer. And instead of doing, you know, small groups or whatever, let's be one group. <laughs> let's make a, you know, a sangha, and um, not make it, but you know what I mean. Um, and uh, Sage, if you can come over with us, and um, Sage, maybe if you bring the microphone, um, and Ben, maybe you can scoot your chair a little that way, and then people on YouTube might be able to see. I don't know, maybe if you pull back the camera a little bit, the people on YouTube might be able to see our group. Yes, and so virtually a part of us. <laughs> oh, good. Great. That's what this blue tape is kind of. Yeah, yeah, to help. So that somebody doesn't sit or stand right in front of them. Yeah, come, come closer, Sage. Thank you. Now I feel I feel you more. I that's okay. Everybody knows how to use this, right? You push the button until it turns green. Now it's live. I don't know. Let me. No sound. Did you set it? I didn't. And my mic's still a little too loud. Your mic? Yeah. Is that this one here? 
My mic is there. That's better. Yeah. Especially now that you guys are close. Yeah. So we need the mic. So this is uh, three. Okay. Does this feel okay to all of you? Nice. Jeff, okay with you? Okay. Yes. Very good. So I thought we could just um, practice mindfulness of speaking and listening with each other. Um, I'll kind of, you've got the handout, but I'll kind of talk about what those guidelines are. And, um, and then I'll, I'll introduce a, maybe a way to get us started talking and listening mindfully. But um, I think a huge part is, uh, well, let me say it is inspiring me, to me to think about being here in this way with you, right? That at the time of the Buddha, people practiced in community. People didn't learn how to meditate on a nap <laughs> by themselves at home. They, they learned to meditate with others. And, um, and, you know, people tell me a lot how, uh, and I experience it, it feels different to meditate with others. You know, it feels different than meditating at home. Not that it's not nice to meditate at home by myself, but... But there's something profound, and obviously we've, everyone here but Ben maybe has been on a retreat. Um, but Ben's been here a lot. <laughs> and um, so there you really kind of almost need, for the amount of meditating you do, you're carried by everybody's practice around you. It holds the frame, holds you up in a way. So, you know, just, uh, yeah. And, and thinking about being in the kind of community that the Buddha taught would be more like being on retreat. People are practicing. They've got their however many hundred rules that they have to follow to keep them mindful. And um, So here we'll just have a few rules you know that we're working on paying attention to but first feel your bodies to me this is a huge support for staying mindful is to feel our bodies here in this room in this space and maybe i'll just say every part of you all of you is welcome here every part of you all of you Every feeling, all of it, is welcome here. Diana talked about, you know, inclusion, our in-group. I was thinking about the terms othering and selfing. We do so much othering and selfing. And so my thought was, let's invite each other not to self and not to other during this practice in this little group that I don't have to be any selfing person that you make another and I don't need to make myself a self I can be in this experience and aware of it as it's happening and unfolding and with you and your experience as it's unfolding 
So that what helps stop othering, meaning creating some idea of who you are, what you're like, what your story is, what who I what I think you're going to do next, what I think you need to do. <laughs> Instead of all of that, my my goal will be to sit back and be surprised. To let each of you surprise me by however it is you show up, whatever you do or don't share. To not try and make it into anything, but to receive whoever you manifest into in this moment. And being, you know, in my body and being grounded and feeling our feet, feeling... Um, having awareness of speaking and or of listening as we listen or speak actually makes it kind of hard to do a lot of othering and selfing. It, it gives us something to let go into instead of all of that creating of ourselves. We devote that energy that we would to creating a self or an other to being aware. So... No, I'm speaking when I'm speaking. No, I'm listening when I'm listening. Talking a little slower than normal. Normal general conversation helps. Tuning into the impact of my words or your words on my body and my heart. Allowing space for pausing. Not planning what I'm going to say in advance. Allowing myself to speak spontaneously when it's my turn so that I can keep being changed by whatever next happens, whatever next I hear. Just like when we're sitting... Relaxation is helpful. So when you find yourself feeling some tension, maybe tune in and see if you can soften or support whatever it is that's tensing up. Maybe even being able to be aware of breathing as you're breathing and talking or listening. And maybe you just choose one of these things in particular that you want to practice tonight. It's a lot of different things. But maybe you just tune in to one of them in particular that you feel would be supportive for you. So what I thought I'd share first, what I thought would be nice, is Diana shared a story about being on retreat and feeling supported by the two people on her side. And that made me, I I felt a lot of warmth when you were sharing that and just that sense of being supported by others. And it reminded me of a story, um, a very different kind of story, where I felt supported by a spiritual friend, a Kalyanamita. I I had been here for a Sunday morning talk, 
and was with um, several of my friends at the time, and we decided to go out to breakfast together. And we were in the car on the way to the breakfast or on the way back. I don't remember which. I don't even remember what we were talking about. But there was the conversation started to move in a direction where there was some critical elements to it. There was, I don't know what it was, but there was a little bit of, um, like somebody could maybe be harsh, or it wasn't anything blatant or awful. But there was one person who just got very quiet, They stopped talking when the conversation started to get a little edgy. And I really noticed it. I could feel it. I could feel their stillness. I could feel their not. Kind of, you know, when you're doing gossipy thing and people are going, yeah, yeah. But nope, this person was not. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) And I felt it. It was like like a, a weight that pulled me back and made me mindful and aware and I chose to be careful about how I engaged. And for me, that was a really visceral experience. It was very powerful because this person said nothing. Their whole impact, the whole thing they did was to say nothing. And I felt it. And I was supported by that. It was a beautiful gift to me from us Kalyanamita. So that's the story about Sangha I'll share and then we we can popcorn it or we can go around in the circle and I'll invite shall we just go in a circle so it's predictable yeah Richard would you start would you be willing to share a story for you that speaks to Kalyanamita with the microphone Well, to be honest, I'm a little reluctant to do so because I just uh, finished uh, Gill's Three Week and one of the things that I became very uh, aware of is my tendency to story. Mm. And uh, it's not so helpful Mm. to be uh, just as honest as I can about it. And... But I can't imagine um, my life at this point without the friends who support me in in this practice and that I support in this practice. So I have countless examples of that. You two sitting there is one example. So, and this young man on my right we just sat this retreat together and it was very very special for me to have him there so that's about all I'll say right now bows to you Richard thank you hi my name's Jeff 
Um, yeah, just coming off retreat. Um, yeah, being at the retreat with experienced practitioners, which, yeah, um, it was really inspiring. There were, there were people that just were so embodied and so they just felt like they were really mindful and with their experience. And I tend to watch people. Um, and I think I learned from doing that. So, um, yeah, just seeing, seeing people on that retreat, I, I feel like I learned from just being in their presence mm. and it was, it was a beautiful experience. Is this okay? Beautiful, Ben. Thank you. Yeah. Um, as I was listening to your talk just now, um, um, I started, my mind started wandering. <laughs> and uh, that, uh, I mean, I wouldn't call it an epiphany. I, I think I always knew it, but it kind of solidified it for me that um, all of these teaching is about it's teaching you uh, teaching me at least I'm learning how to live better in community with other people and uh, all of these sitting still um, being quiet, uh, being observant. It's, it's, it's not about you. It's about everybody. That's, that's why. Um, so Ben and I are married, have been married for 30, no, yes, <laughs> I don't know, some years, 30 some years. Um, we just forgot our anniversary last week, so. Mm. Um, but what, a, and we've been practicing for a few years, maybe me a little bit more, but both of us at, at uh, IMC. And I was thinking how valuable that is, that has been more and more every day. And I noticed that driving here tonight, we have, we're, we're both on this email chain with, with a group of friends. Uh, one of them is now in Iran and was, had just written a story mm. of what's happening in Iran and, she also has her mother's in ICU, so she was kind of reporting on all all events. Um, and uh, I had responded to her. Some people just re reply to all, so you see everybody's replies. There's a group of like 30 of us on there. Um, so we were talking about that, 
And um, I started talking maybe not very nicely about something someone had said. He's a writer, so he writes beautifully, but I, I started saying it was a little bit of exaggeration. And what Ben said made me realize what I'm, where I'm going, and I stopped. Mm. And uh, then I thought about how valuable it is that we're both practicing and we're both... I feel like he was helping me. He helped me get reminded of, you know, what my value is about being kind even if the person's not hearing it. Uh, and that keeps happening more and more these days at home. Our, our conversations are... Um, I'm so grateful for that. I think that's that's a good example of mm. um, our sangha at home. Mm. Um, so my sangha story is about somebody um, that I didn't share language with, um, but it's really interesting experience, and I like I think about it all the time. Um, the very first retreat I went on uh, was at uh, Shasta Abbey, like really far, like north of California. Um, and I went there by myself, and I must have really wanted it. It was like five plus hours to get there, and it was like a three day retreat, so I was basically going to get right back in the car. Um, and as we were practicing, uh, it was a silent retreat. We just got to know people by just kind of like looking over the like uh dividers they had between us because it was like a zen monastery um and the second we had time um to talk to one another this woman like walked up to me and like brought one of her friends like they were all part of a group who had tried to go to a different retreat that had been canceled because of covid and just kind of hung out at shasta <laughs> um and she like started talking to me and like went like this under my chin and like her friend was like she says like quit looking at the ground you're like always looking down and like never look like never look down like you like yeah you're worth always looking up and I was like wow <laughs> it's kind of crazy like it was just I don't know quite a while into the retreat and the first time we had anything to say it was like like that kind of observation that had such a like profound impact on me and like I still think about it all the time and yeah we never got to really talk because I, I didn't speak her language but it was really special Do you want to say anything more? We. I, I was waiting for Tanya to direct us. Yeah, I, I could say I have uh, all kinds of stories. <laughs> we love your stories, Diana. <laughs> I, I don't know about that, but. Uh, um, so, 
years ago, uh, Gil used to do Dharma practice days here. Maybe some of you have um, been to them. And that was um, like a day long, and it would include small groups and guided meditation and talks. A lot of what we do online, but it was in person. And uh, a friend of mine that uh, I had met here and that uh, you guys know very well also, that um, he said, Diana, you should come to these Dharma practice days. They're really great, and you learn a lot, and you get to meditate, and you can meet other people. And I was like, oh my goodness, I don't want to go to something like that. (laughs) 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 And uh, I was just afraid, like in these small groups, like what am I going to say? I don't know why this would just be, sounded scary to me, horrifying or something. And he said, I'll go, I actually, I think I asked him, will you be in every single one of these little groups with me? And he said, yes. So I sat next to him. And then whenever time we had to make small groups that I dragged him along, you know. (laughs) It turned out to be such a great day. I learned a lot. And this really kind of kick-started my Dharma practice to, to practice in community with other people and to hear how other people were understanding, right? In small groups, we kind of talk about different ideas and just a whole world opened up like, oh, not everybody thinks exactly the same way I do. And this, I don't know, just I feel so touched by this person who said, Diana, you really should come to Dharma practice days and what a big impact that had on me and his willingness to get into every group with me. After that, it was fine. But uh, so that's one of my stories. That's a great story. So I'll invite us to go around the circle one more time. And I'll give you um, a couple options, invitations. One is you could share what you're noticing, what you've been noticing when you've been mindful of speaking as you speak or listening as you are listening. Anything that's you're kind of coming up for you as you're aware of it as a practice. So uh, you could share about that if that feels right. Or if you have another Sangha story you would like to share. Or you could, if you have a question about Sangha, this Sangha or Sangha in general, you could ask a question and we can see what the group response is. So does that, does that give you each something? Feel, great. Okay. Richard, do you feel? There's a mic right there too. Is it not on? No, it's not on. Okay. okay. We can just use this one. Okay. pretty aware of really not wanting to talk too much right now. Um, Very, very enjoy hearing other people right now, just listening to what's going on. 
Um, I think uh, I have uh, peeled away certain levels or layers of armor that uh, I think this culture has a tendency to build up through different ways, distracting and And so, um, so I'm, I'm feeling a lot of emotion right now, more than I typically do through my normal life prior to sitting the retreat. So uh, it's, there's a fragility in my emotions right now that is uh, not common. So that's what I notice. So I think, well, I've been trying to practice with um, just trying to stay in my body. Um, it's quite difficult, but um, yeah, when when talking, um, I try to try to stay with my breath, and also when listening to others um, yeah just go back to the breath and I notice it it really helps me get out of like if I'm like being judgmental or having like a view or an opinion it just helps me um, yeah just kind of drop back and um, I don't know like feel more compassion or um calm or yeah so um, um, the, the only story that comes to mind for me right now is uh, um, because of what's happening in Iran, I get up in the morning, the first thing I do, I check all the news feeds, Twitter, this and that, to see what happened. And then, I know I'm not supposed to do that before I, <laughs> I meditate, I just get up like 5.30, 6 o'clock, I, ju I just gotta, I just gotta see what just happened overnight in Iran. And then, uh, I think it was Monday, I was sitting there listening to Gil and I was looking at my iPad with all of these, like three, four hundred people on it. And I was thinking, why couldn't it be like this? <laughs> why couldn't it be just like this? It's very simple. Why, why are we doing this to each other? Why what? Why are we doing this to each other? Iran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we all have our own excuses why, but... Yeah. And I was just thinking... 
if we just did nothing, mm. how much energy we would have saved and mm. what we could have done with it. Mm. All of us. I mean, I think my small way is somebody's big way. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm an engineer. I th always think about entropy. Entropy. There's a lot of entropy. And it saddens me. Anyway. Yeah. Thank you, Ben. I had a question, but I about um, community and how during our life it changes even without a practice like this it kind of changes as we change you know and I um, I have a hard time with um Um, I don't have a hard time with with knowing what I'm, what how my needs have changed, and what I want in a community of close friends. But I have a hard time making that change. I don't know if that's clear. I. I think if I could just be myself, if it was just me and I would just leave this place and go somewhere and start all over again, it would be easier. But, you know, I'm not going to do that, obviously. So I don't know if there's any um, suggestions or... You did say about community that um, to look be beyond all our judgments and all our you know biases and what all the surface things were I do agree that we're all all the same but um, when you are I don't I don't know if I, if I if that's enough for you to know what I'm talking about or should I go on I can try and respond and see what happens um, I really appreciate what you're bringing up Mitra a lot about um, you know maybe if when we have a group of people that we've known and then we come to the practice and we start to change how we want to show up um, that group doesn't necessarily change, right? Um, and if you think about gossip as a simple, you know, but super common way people actually tend to relate and connect. So if you think, if I think about that as just a simple example, um, I think a couple things come to mind. One is, um, you know, the story I told is kind of about that. And it did change me feeling the other person, right? But that's because I was inclined that way. And it makes me think about the story Thich Nhat Hanh tells about um, refugees on a boat. 
where, um, you know, the refugees that were coming, right, leaving Cambodia, going on these boats and small boats, all these people in these boats, and pirates would come, pillage and rape and worse. And uh, the stories um, that Thich Nhat Hanh would hear about and what he would say is that all it took was one person on that boat who stayed grounded, equanimous, mindful. And it could save the whole boat or most the people on the boat. Because if everybody, everybody gets on fire emotionally, boat can capsize, people jump over, people do irrational things, but one person is enough to save a whole boat of people. So that's the second thing that comes to mind. That person needs to be far along, further along than I am (laughs) in the practice. You know, um, so let me tell you about a story somebody was sharing with me about something that they did, which was to go and sit and not speak when they were in a difficult situation. And they just sat there and they even cried because it was so hard. But they were determined, and by that action, many people weren't harmed. And I think that's where I am right now at this stage. I I see the harm, um, and I don't, for the most part, I don't participate in it. Um, I hear it, and I don't like it. And also, another thing I'm sent, I'm starting to notice is that I'm not I'm not hating it as much mm. you know I'm not um, judging it as much either I'm, mm. I'm a little softer on like you know I I notice it but I don't feel like oh, oh my god I'm so much better than, than that um, so that's not really making another yeah and not necessarily yeah. having to make yourself into something better. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I see that that that's happening, and that's a great thing to happen. I think the other, but my point, my dilemma is that time is so limited, and um, we only have time for a few things in our li- in our day. So to choose, some things really have to go and. To choose that is sometimes difficult when you already have established, you know, 30, 40, 50 year relationships. And, but yeah, that's something, I, I mean, I, I think I need to keep working on myself. Uh, I guess I I have elected the Sangha story two option. Um, so my Sangha story is actually the story of two Sanghas. Um, since I, uh, I I started coming here to IMC and to Canando and 
uh, Mountain View a couple months back, like basically right after I had like gotten out of the hospital and like been encouraged by like a chaplain to like receive my spirituality and it's at a particularly like difficult time in my life and I was very much alone and like since I've been coming to IMC and over to Canada um, I've definitely felt more like I'm part of something and it it matters like deeply to me it's something I um, get really excited about like glad to give my time Uh, so Sangha has made like a huge difference for me even if I'm not necessarily like talking about like dharma friends and the giving you the dharma sense but uh yeah that's been good for me thank you for sharing so what what would you like should i speak to or what would be best on you um, for you to check in and feel was right. <laughs> and Wait, we have this piece of paper that has this little schedule. Yeah, there's a schedule and there's guided meditation that you were going to do. And so I think you can decide um, how much time you want to spend with that versus how much time you want to share and, and reflect and when and how. I'd like to share a little story. Great. Just kind of a, a really short one. This was a long time ago, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. Maybe, maybe, I don't remember exactly how long. But where somebody said something that uh, really had a big difference for the way that I kind of understood how I was showing up in a way that I hadn't really noticed before. And uh, this person talked about, she used this expression, uh, Bonding through mutual outrage. Maybe it was something like that. And and I hadn't really noticed how this is... At that now it's pretty obvious. But at that time, I hadn't noticed how people, myself included at that time, would get together and like, oh, that terrible thing, or that terrible person... And like, and this, and then did you hear about this, and then this, and then this, and somehow the kind of like this good feeling, like okay, well, we're not that person, but then, so I don't know, it started to feel like it just didn't quite feel so good. As soon as that got highlighted for me, I started to notice, oh, this is sometimes a way that we bond with each other is to complain or some about something else, and. I don't know, that had a big impact on me when I said, I'm going to try not to do that anymore. And maybe that speaks a little bit to what you, this othering that you've been talking about. And I know when I, there was a time when I worked in corporate America and, you know, there was, this was something that we would do literally like around the water coolers, complain about that person and that department and can you believe it? And, (laughs) you know, this kind of stuff, so... I don't know, that, that I still think about. And even today, like with the way kind of social media at that time, right, social media didn't really have a role on the news cycle. Everything is all about this bonding through mutual outrage. I don't, is that the right expression? But whatever it is. So I don't know. Just a story that had a big impact on me to see how we like to do that. It turns out not to be so helpful always. 
did you did you say the word outrage or outreach? Oh, outrage, anger, outrage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so maybe we'll do a little guided meditation. Sounds good to me. So, this idea of uh, Kalyana Mita and Sangha and practicing together is a way of, you know, about connection and and there's so many different ways we can have connection. It can be, you know, literally touching somebody or maybe it's just softening that which is inside us that is maybe um, making connections a little bit more difficult. And so... I'd like to do a little bit of loving-kindness meditation because I find that this really can help soften kind of our inner experience. I keep on looking at this uh, schedule. I'm a little bit confused about... Okay, here we go. So just arriving... This moment, take it in a posture that feels comfortable, comfortable enough for the next little while. We won't be here for too long. Checking in with the body, connecting with the body, feeling where the body rests on the chair or the cushion, feeling the pressure against the body. Feeling the feet on the ground. We're connected, we're here, this location. And having this sitting posture And just to know that we're sitting. How does the body feel in this posture? Connecting with the breath. Connecting with the sensations of breathing. Right now there's nowhere else to be and nothing else to do. We're just here with the sensations of breathing. And then to begin our loving kindness practice, bring to mind a lovable being the most lovable, uncomplicated 
straightforward. For many people, these might be kittens that they see on internet videos. <laughs> Something that kind of just makes you smile and in a warm-hearted way. Maybe there's a teacher or author that has touched you. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you have a relationship with. Whomever, bringing this really lovable being, somebody for whom it's straightforward to have a sense of warmth or care for. And in any way that makes sense for you to connect with this lovable being. Might be by bringing an image of this lovable being. It can even be an imaginary. It doesn't have to be an actual being. Or maybe there's a way in which with the heart center, a little bit of a radiation and connection And as a support for this connection and cultivation of warm-heartedness, we can say these phrases. You're welcome to modify these phrases. There's nothing magical about these particular words. Just a simple wish warm-hearted wish for another. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease.
Just keeping us simple. With warm-hearted wishes for this lovable being. Connecting with this lovable being. Just allowing ourselves to feel the warmth or feel the care. And it's perfectly fine if you don't feel anything in particular. That's okay too. But if you do, allow yourself to be supported, nourished, by this feeling of warmth, respect, care, love, goodwill, benevolence for this lovable being. And then to expand our loving kindness, to include ourselves. Of course, of course, we do loving kindness for ourselves, 
So in the same way that we have this warmth and care for the lovable being, can we stretch or expand that to include ourselves? May I be safe. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I live with ease. And then it can be really helpful, really supportive to do a little bit of equanimity practice. For this practice, bring to mind somebody who's a little bit troubling or troublesome for you, bothersome or annoying. On a scale of one to 10, choose somebody that's like a two or a three just sometimes a little bit irksome. Bring this person to mind, somebody that you care about. And we can say this phrase, I wish you happiness and I cannot make your choices for you. I 
I wish you happiness and I cannot make your choices for you. I wish you happiness and I cannot make your choices for you. This idea of loving-kindness practice as a support for Sangha, for Kalyanamita, is it's important to like soften. Maybe Tanya talked about selfing and othering to soften that, but also for us to have some care for ourselves. It's so important. But not in the way in which we're willing to like sacrifice ourselves or try to control other people or not set boundaries or those kinds of things. So it can be helpful to also do some equanimity practice as a support for that. And then maybe we'll just open it up for some last questions or comments. See if anybody has some... Anything you'd like to share about that meditation or about... uh, this topic of sangha or this idea of let's talk about practice or something like that. And if there's any comment on YouTube, we can reflect or hear, read that as well. Um, I just... I think this was so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> it was. It was very nice. Just, I mean, very sweet to just be here with you guys in this way tonight. So thank you. It's uh, For me, I love that we're talking about Saga and we created this great, great little group here. It makes me happy. Kind of about this. It's very yeah. nice. Any anybody want to make any comments? Because it's not needed. But if you want to say anything, more Ben, Jeff, anything you want to say before we end? Thank 
Right. Um, I, I had this idea, maybe um, we could dedicate the merit tonight. And um, I would like to, wherever our microphone is, um, let each person name whatever beings, people, issues they want to be included in the dedication of the merit of our time together. Um, I think it's there's one. I don't. I don't know if this one's. And then um, Sage has the second one. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, this one. The volume's not on. Maybe you'll start, Jeff. Okay. Yeah, I'd like to dedicate this to all beings everywhere, and especially those that are suffering. I can't imagine who I would like to dedicate to, to accept to exactly what he said to all of us and everybody who's suffering. Uh, because there's a hell of a lot of it going on. Um, there's a 22-year-old woman who was killed among thousands of people that get killed every day in Iran. Her name is Mahsa Amini, and what's been going on around the world is they're calling her name, not just her name, not just to that particular person, but they're calling it for everyone who's suffering and everyone who's um, being, yeah, so her name. Mm, thank you. Can, can you say her name again? Mahsa Amini. Thank you. So I just want to say one thing. The, I don't know whether you know the uh, the slogans of this movement in Iran. It's three words. Oh, yes. Zan, Zendegi, Azadi. I mean... S- say it, them again, Ben. Zan. Can you say them and translate them? Yeah, then? of course. Zan means women. Right. Zendegi means life. Yeah. Azadi means freedom. What was freedom, right? Azadi, freedom. Yeah. That's it. That's all there is. Wow. And I just, and this woman, death of the soul is fine. Sage, would you like to? Um, Sure, I'd like to dedicate the merit of our practice um, to incarcerated people. May all people, may all beings be free. Maybe I'll just say all beings, and maybe I'll just add a little relish, flourish on it, (laughs) without exception, all beings without exception. And then will you do the... Do you want to add anything, Jordan? Mm-hmm. 
Thank you. Outrage, bonding. bonding through mutual outrage. Just because we. So much as social media is all about that, right? And so, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you all for your practice and for coming here and sharing this with us. I won't be here next week, but um, I look forward to being here on third week three and week four. So see you then. <laughs>